Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone, it's Neil Carberry here from the REC and welcome to the latest edition of our podcast, Talking Recruitment. Delighted to have you along again to listen. It's been a busy month at the REC. As with lots of you, uh, thinking about returning to uh, the workplace and getting people back into the office this month and lots of REC members are checking out the Back to the Office hub that's on our website now, Back to the Workplace hub. Well worth a look for all of your information on hybrid working, vaccinations and so forth. One of a series of hubs that we've been developing over the course of the year, our international trade post-Brexit hub is also proving very popular, as is the on-demand videos available on our business advice site, both for startups and and growing firms, but also all of the content from our uh, summer conference, REC 2021, which is full of great business advice and is well worth uh, digging into there. Over the course of the past few weeks, we've seen that high level of demand and candidate shortages still dominating the news. The REC's had really strong uh, media presence talking about all of that and in particular thinking about what it means in the short and the long term for how we advise and help clients with how they recruit but also the policy frameworks we need to to make sure changes happen and uh, a big part of that of course was eased by us managing to get digital right to work checks retained until April next year and we're now working on a permanent system on that with the home office. One final thing to mention before we launch into today's discussion and that is we just recently launched our shortlist for the 2021 REC awards. Congratulations to everyone who's on it. The awards are going to be at the end of November, and we'd love for you to join us at our big shindig in London. It's great to be holding a major in-person event again. Do have a look at the REC website, get in touch with your account manager to book a table at what will be a fantastic night for recruitment after what has been a really strong bounce back year. And we've seen throughout the last few months that the REC's report on jobs, that's our measure of how members are doing has been robust through the year and just checking out the recent data which was published on the 9th of September a really strong trend looks like it's continuing into the autumn with a strong year of recovery for the whole industry. Now let's uh, turn to today's discussion and I'm delighted to be joined by a guest that I've known for some time and who's done so work across a range of sectors that is really inspirational in terms of helping people find their way in the labour market, find their way in their career. And it's something that I, I know he's digging into further now with his, uh, with some new work on occupational counselling. So first of all, Nicholas Harrison, welcome to the REC podcast. Good morning, Neil. Thank you very much indeed. Rather than telling us a little bit about the concept of occupational counselling, why don't we start with how you came to be thinking about this in the first place and some of the work you've been doing over the past few years? Okay, thank you. So my background, I started off working in headhunting. And I obviously, as all researchers do, I spent a lot of time interviewing people. But I felt as a headhunter that a lot of a lot of the work that I was doing was really almost aggressively persuading people to leave one position and go into another with limited exploration into who they really were as a person and what they really wanted out of life. So the flow of traffic was very much one from the organization through me, and then the individual came third down the list. 
And I left the corporate world to set up a charity that was focused on helping people find happiness in the workplace. I'm also taking a part-time PhD looking at self-psychology within the world of employment. And so occupational counselling was the next natural step in terms of helping people to find happiness, not satisfaction, but to find happiness within the world of work. So this is really interesting to me as a concept. And I think particularly as someone who also started in search, there's a real fellow feeling with the idea that as recruiters, we have to take care of both our candidate and our client. And the humanity of the job is has always been important, but is more important than ever now, as it's a difference maker for the industry as well. It's why you know, the robots will ultimately not steal the jobs of the 100,000 people who work in recruitment and staffing in the, in the UK. So that piece around the right job for the right person at the right time, well advised, feels to me pretty close to the heart of what businesses and professionals in the industry should be thinking about going forward, especially where you're you're looking at people who have choices in their career in a fast-changing economy. So you've introduced the path that you've walked to get to occupational counselling as a concept. What do you mean in terms of what you're doing now by occupational counselling? What's the kind of type of person that you're working with? And what is the process that they're going through, Nicholas? So the one thing, if I can go back a second, is just to caveat everything by saying that when I was working in headhunting, we're talking up until 2007, 2008, and a lot's changed. Well-being is something that back in 2007, 2008, people didn't really talk about. And people were reticent to discuss any form of mental health issue. It was something that people massively shied away from. And I think today things have changed dramatically. But what has not changed, and this feeds into answering your question in a long way, forgive me, is that we tend to focus on the what of life. And what I found is that a lot of the support that's available to people is directed and controlled by organisations. So you don't have to go very far to see an organization's mission statement and values and and what their purpose is. And that's great. But you also see an awful lot of effort on we want to do more to support the well-being of our staff. The difference between occupational counseling and possibly occupational coaching is that the counseling is led entirely by the person who needs that support. And that person will be somebody who is possibly experiencing low self-esteem, confidence, overall satisfaction with their lives. And as you've alluded to, within a world where people aren't joining a company and staying there until they retire with their grey hair and their clock, they're moving not just company to company, but people are leaping from sector to sector with very little support between those roles. And that's where recruiters and really step in and play a, a vital part with helping people. Now, the counselling that I offer is, as I said, it's person-centred, it's driven by the individual. I don't do the doing. I aim to provide an environment that can support people to become the best version of themselves that they want to become. And all of my work is rooted in an understanding that most of us go through life controlled to a greater extent by conditioning. 
And that process starts when we're children. It goes through school. And as we wake up in the morning and walk out of our front doors or sit in front of the computer, as a lot of us are doing these days, we tend to put our little feelers out to understand the environment around us, to look for the cues and to work out what self am I going to present today that I believe is going to get me the best return on this situation. That's entirely normal behavior. But the problem is that a lot of us have been locked up in our houses for quite some time. And as we return to the workplace, we are different people. And so we're going to need additional support to understand that golden thread, if you like, that floats between myself at work, myself with my friends, myself with my family. There's always going to be that authentic level of continuity between these pieces. And that's what occupational counselling strives to achieve, to help people to connect with who they really are, not just focus on the what, but to really concern itself with the why and the how of that individual and how that sits with the employer's vision, mission and purpose. So there are a couple of strands there that I think I want to pull at. The first of them is this, which is that conditioning point that you make. Lots of us, I think as business leaders, were taught that there's a mask you wear in the workplace while you're doing your job. And then there's who you are outside the workplace. And maybe the pandemic has been kind of the sledgehammer that's knocked down the wall between the two, because obviously we've invited each other into our homes over the last 18 months because that's where we've been working. Our homes have become the workplace. But also, I think we've been powerfully aware of the other pressures on senior people's lives in in businesses. I think if you think about the famous BBC News incident of the, the daughter skipping into the interview about Korea in the background of a news clip and everything that happened and the coverage that got a few years ago. And now it's quite common for children to appear in the background. And it's not an embarrassing thing because people have children and they're at home as well, much of the time with people who are working. So the, that concept of the single individual at work and at home is potentially quite a positive thing because it allows a greater level of visibility of all of the pressures that the leaders are experiencing but then of course it also means that you're powerfully aware of the pressures that the businesses and the career angle is placing on individuals across the board do you think there's still a a level of reticence in businesses to dig into that relationship you know do businesses still feel that maybe the gap should be there the gap between your personal self and your work self do you mean yes i think I think individuals might be feeling that the two are alighting more and more. And, but I wonder whether many businesses are cautious about having conversations that touch on aspects of people's life outside work. And maybe some of this high trust occupational counselling style discussion has value for leaders because it is by the very nature that it isn't something that the employer themselves is invested in. Yeah, I I think ultimately what we're talking about is, in part, is about control. And uh, one of the things that leaders and managers within employment lost as we went into the lockdown was control. Fewer people are going to be taking their child into the office and having them leaping about and asking for food and stuff like that. 
as we return to the world of work. But that was entirely acceptable when people were working from home in a lockdown situation. And employers lost the control over their employees, both from a perspective of this is what we expect you to do, and this is how things are now you're back in the office, but also the control that the employee feels of what is acceptable. I mean, I know from my myself, I've worked from home since 2008, and I went for years and years and years where, and it's confession time to anyone listening to this who knows me, lying to people because working from home was not normal. People didn't understand it. And so if my toddler started squawking or the dog started barking, I would lie to people and say, I'm, so, I'm working from home this morning, as if it was a rarity, when in fact it was my normal life, because it was not accepted. Now, the question is, of course, will employers accept a greater degree of an individual's personal life within the world of work? I don't know. I'm not sure they will. I think that people will be inclined to go back to hiding aspects of their personal life as they go back to work. Habits are formed relatively quickly and habits are broken relatively quickly. I think it's going to be a two-way street. But the other bit in all of this, of course, is that this does lead in to the happiness aspect and the confusion and misunderstanding about happiness, because there is a great difference between happiness and satisfaction. There's a great difference between happiness and esteem happiness and self-worth and we tend to use expressions like happiness in this sort of catch-all understand all phrase i think we've got to start pulling apart the strands here and going to some way to understand why and forgive me if i'm going off track of your conversation your, your question a bit give me but we've got to look at understanding why a lot of reports are telling us that happiness dropped dramatically during this pandemic but actually, there's a lot of research indicating that there was a difference between the pandemic and its effects on happiness and the lockdown and its effects on happiness. And what actually happened is that as people started to see fatalities through COVID occurring in this country, happiness dropped to absolutely rock bottom levels. But then strangely, by the end of May 2020, as we continued through the lockdown, happiness levels actually increased and went up, sorry, by the end of May, they went up to around 47%, which was just below levels of happiness before the pandemic. I believe that's got a lot more to do with people becoming more authentic, people working out, having more control and thinking about what is it that allows them to do their job better without somebody standing over their shoulder. Then we heard, in my mind, forgive me, but we heard ghastly situations of certain businesses that were placing systems on people's computers to ensure that they knew when that person was actually sitting at their computer. That's no way to treat your employees. This is spot on. This whole thing about control and agency and empowerment. I mean, we have had for years a pro an issue with productivity in the UK and what every recruitment business owner uh, director would say is you know some of your staff are massively more productive at home some are less productive that's possibly because they need a certain environment or structure of support around them but what it emphasizes is exactly the point you're making which is that each individual is their own master 
or mistress in terms of how to be most effective at work, especially in an environment where a lot of the the kind of workplace conditioning that the office has given us is is absent. So I think it does speak towards, from an employer perspective, how do we encourage and support people to have that discussion with themselves about what will make this work for me? What do I want from my career? But also from a an individual perspective, how can I be effective at work and build career progression? So this, I think that is a, a kind of long-term answer to productivity, where the kind of keystroke analysis stuff that you're talking about is just a short-term monitoring response. And if you go right back to the very origins of understanding labor organization, the Hawthorne studies in the Western Electric plant of the 1920s and 30s, for the geeks amongst our listeners, you know full well that monitoring boosts performance for a little bit, and then that boost falls away. You need, as for instance, the Japanese car companies established, you need a high quality and focus owned by everyone in the business, not owned by some inspector at the end of the line. And that does mean, I think, investing in the resilience, productivity, sense of control, sense of direction that individual members of staff have. And of course, that will be different. You know, you're not necessarily going to invest in a counselling approach for absolutely everyone in any given business. But I think the the logic that you're setting forth should be right at the heart of HR planning in any company. And I think particularly in in organisations like recruiters, where you're both thinking about a sales environment for the business itself, for your own staff, and thinking about finding the paths that will land best for your candidates and clients based on your understanding of where they are at a given time. I mean, all of this, I think, runs with the zeitgeist at the moment. I think it's likely to to be with us for some years to come as we kind of work out, you know, what does productivity management and career management look like in a high-skill services-led economy? But I suppose the big question in my mind is how do companies and individuals learn how to do this? And I suppose that comes to, you know, some of the work you're trying to do with your clients at the moment, which is what's the pathway to getting this right, Nicholas, in terms of what you've seen from what you've done so far in the occupation counselling space? It is a vast area. It's huge. And the lessons that I have learned that I think are very important, that I'd love this opportunity to pass on, things like um, we have to create a safe environment where people are prepared to discuss their concerns at work without fear of jeopardising their career prospects. I believe that we have to focus on the individual. And when we start talking about things like purpose, and when we talk about how much happiness can be derived from meaningful employment, and we've moved on from buzzwords to buzz expressions, it's great that people are talking about this stuff. It's actually fantastic. But when you talk about meaningful employment, meaningful to whom? When we talk about purpose, whose purpose? And all too often, I fear we look at imposing the organization's direction of travel on top of the individual. 
we've got to look at this from the bottom up. We must also remember that a lot of coaching and support in business, it tends to be, in my experience, so I'm not saying it happens all over the place, it's not ubiquitous, but it does tend to be focused on medium to high achievers, getting them to perform even more. And I think it's really important now that we look at those people who are not performing and try to get them up the ladder as well. So all I'm asking is that people understand that occupational counselling isn't is, is not for everybody. It's not needed everywhere. It's niche in its approach, but it can instill higher levels of confidence, direction, purpose of the individual, clarity of, of, of what it is that an individual does well. But all of that is relatively meaningless if the organisations won't then embrace what they've learned about that individual into their business. Can't have a situation where people turn around and say, yeah, hope you enjoyed your, your self-awareness counselling and hope you enjoyed learning more about yourself. Now, back to the most pressing crocodile next to our canoe. Can you please help us with this? No, we, we've got to learn from these things and inject that individuality within to an organisational structure. I think that's very powerful, Nicholas, particularly around this not being a sheep dip and how we make it cultural in organisations to embed car performance over the long term. And I'd just, I'd triple underline that point around psychological safety. I think we've all been in businesses where people espouse the idea that management listens to feedback and we understand that some level of conflict of task is productive. The question is, is that really true? Will people, what will happen if someone puts their head above the parapet or indeed reaches out to grab the crocodile? I think as business leaders, it's really tough in a short term market situation to think, actually, we need to think about the long term here and think about the culture we, we're building. But I think it does pay off over time. And, and I think the the kind of occupational counselling part of that, both in terms of understand clients, under, uh, sorry, candidates understanding where they're trying to get, and in terms of us as managers trying to support people to be more effective in the workplace. I think that this feels like an idea that whose moment has come, so long as we can find the right balance between long-term investment in people's capacity and understanding and short and medium-term performance. And that's always the trade-off in in these areas. But I do think that some of the well-being support and well-being focus that we've seen over the last year or two doesn't feel like it's going away anytime soon, especially with the kind of the weight of the last 18 months uh, still being carried around on people's shoulders. Those companies who are doing things which are more fundamental and more effective will, of course, benefit in terms of attraction and retention of staff. And go back to what I said at the top of the podcast about how tight the labour market is right now. I think this is exactly the kind of thing, for particularly for senior staff, that is important to being the sort of place that people stay. And maybe that commerciality of this very tight labour market at the moment will will really help us out. Nicholas, that's been a fascinating discussion. Before I let you go, where can people find out a little bit more about what you're doing? Well, thank you for asking. That's very kind, Neil. So my website is occupationalcounselling.com. I'm on LinkedIn. 
and I would be more than happy to have a conversation with anyone who just gently wants to find out a little bit more about what I'm talking about. Fantastic. Thank you again, Nicholas, for joining us today. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed our chat with Nicholas today, do check out some of our other recent episodes. Uh, You can try episode 15 with Julia Ross on embedding service standards in recruitment. Episode 13 with Amanda Simpson is all about adaptability as a recruitment business in this new world of work. Or if you're thinking internationally and maybe you enjoyed uh, the recent WEC conference, why not check out our episode number 16 with Denny Pinnell of the World Employment Confederation talking about how the global market is recovering from the pandemic and some of the issues that we're seeing with labour shortages, not just here in the UK, but around the world. Thank you again for joining us today. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Join me for another episode soon. And check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.